Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Rob Hatting on June 6th, Lord's Day Service. Good morning. In what is probably a small miracle, I turned exactly to the page in my notes that I need. So all God's people said, Amen. See if I can do that with the scripture here. Okay, very good. I'm going to read the uh, second chapter of 1 Corinthians and then pray, and then we'll get into the sermon. Hear the word of the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the, uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, of, uh, the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom revealed to us in your word in scripture and your word incarnate. We ask this morning that you would grant us understanding and wisdom through your spirit, that we may know the hope to which we are called and that we would live according to your way. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power and wisdom of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We ought to begin every thought with the awareness that God is infinitely wiser and infinitely more knowledgeable and infinitely more powerful than the wisest and smartest and most powerful of men. And that includes you. And that includes me. As Paul writes in Romans 11:33 and following, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! 
and how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And Yahweh speaks, speaks through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul rightly understands both the condition of fallen man and the surpassing excellence and supremacy of God in all things. He knows that the heart of man is inclined to erect towers in honor of and in homage to himself, to establish himself as the prince and authority over himself. And God is fully aware, or Paul is fully aware of man's utter inability to achieve the glory he seeks and the futility of his efforts to attain to righteousness by means of his own thoughts and deeds, even if his attempts are by means of law-keeping. Paul's assessment, to press it to its logical conclusion, is that man is dead in his trespasses and sins, and he is cut off not only from wisdom and from knowledge and from power, but from life itself. And he knows that God, the creator and sustainer of all things, who though accessible because he has condescended to make himself known through creation and by special revelation, is altogether distinct from us, his judgments are unsearchable and His ways are inscrutable. In proclaiming a crucified Messiah, Paul is turning conventional wisdom and conventional understandings of wisdom and power on their respective heads. The wisdom and power of God, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, is unlike anything anyone would have expected, even His disciples though he had been quite explicit with them. After Jesus had been crucified and buried and resurrected, he walked with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus who were leaving Jerusalem. Their expectation was something quite different than what had happened. They said to Jesus as he walked with him that he was a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people. And now our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Even to his disciples who had walked with him, who had heard him teach, who had witnessed his miraculous deeds, to them it was inconceivable that a man crucified and dead and in the ground could be of much use at all. They had even heard that some of the women testified that he was alive. And if his, if his disciples had a hard time believing that he was alive, that he had been resurrected, how much more those who had not seen and heard and witnessed the works of Jesus. But Paul's message is precisely and simply this. And when he declares the gospel, this good news of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles, he, he doesn't try to dress it up with impressive rhetoric or beguiling brilliance. He comes straight ahead with the story of a cross. Because if he attempted to improve upon the gospel, 
if he attempted to shine it up to make it sound more plausible, he would empty the cross of its power. Up to this point in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul has been contrasting natural wisdom, humanly wisdom, uh, worldly wisdom with the cross of Christ. That is the wisdom of the Greeks, the wisdom, uh, the wisdom of the Greeks who pursue and covet, and covet uh, wisdom with all of its attendant power structures and so on, is confronted by Jesus who is himself the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul is saying, your wisdom is not wisdom. Here is wisdom, a crucified Messiah. And the notion of a crucified deliverer is foolishness to the Greeks. It doesn't make any sense. How could a dead, a dead man be a Messiah? How, how could a dead man be a deliverer? How could a dead man be a king? His time is clearly up. And to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. They had hoped that He would be the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped that He would be the deliverer of Israel. But now, that's not possible because He is dead. But Paul says, a crucified Messiah, a Messiah who was delivered up to be killed, to be murdered, is the wisdom and power of God. In the opening paragraph of chapter 2, the Apostle says that uh, among the Corinthians, he was determined to know nothing among them except Christ and Him crucified. That is to say that what was absurd to the thinking of the day what they had no category for, both among Jews and Gentiles, right? This is everybody. This is all the people. This is exactly what he was going to drill down on. This point that you have no category for, this thing that is absurd to you, this thing to you that is foolishness, and this thing that causes you problem is precisely where I'm going to invest all of my energy. This is the thing that you must know. This is the thing that you must believe. And we have to imagine that for a great number of, number of people in Paul's time in Corinth, this was simply unsatisfying. It didn't work. It wasn't a good explanation for anything. It made no sense. And to, and to, to make that a little more challenging, Paul's style, his manner of delivery, his, his speaking skills, apparently did not comport with the rhetorical fashions of the day. So Paul says, I've got this message that you don't get, and I might not be saying it with pretty words, but if you don't believe this, you will die. You will perish. He was declaring to them the power of God and the wisdom of God in a crucified Jesus Christ. But they were more committed to what made sense already they had a reality. We do this in our lives. Every one of us, every human being does this. We, we get a concept of reality based on where we live, who our people are, what our customs are, uh, what CNN tells us or Fox News or whatever. This is how we construct our reality. And so the people at Corinth were just like this. They had a reality. They had a way of understanding the world. It was a pagan way of understanding the world, but they had a way of understanding it nonetheless. 
And what Paul is doing with the message of a crucified Messiah is he is confronting not just their religious ideas, he's not just confronting their opinions about things, he is confronting reality. The world as you know it is wrong. Now imagine someone saying that to you. Everything you know about everything is wrong. You gotta change. Hmm, no, not gonna do it. Right? That's not how this works. He's confronting reality, and he is doing so in a way that sidesteps the appeal of eloquence and wisdom. He goes straight to the heart. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but that your faith might rest in the power of God. And while Paul assaults what passes for wisdom among the Greeks, he speaks wisdom in a way that is far more profound than any of them can grasp. It is not the wisdom of the powerful, the rulers of the age who are doomed to pass away. It is not the wisdom according to worldly standards, but he says a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. The way that God has spoken to humanity is a way that humanity is not prepared to hear. Consider the parables of Matthew chapter 13. In, in chapter 13 of Matthew, there are all these parables spoken by Jesus, and he's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about seeds being sown on various kinds of soil, and, 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 and the people just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. Even his, his disciples come and they say, what, what, do, what do these things mean? Why are you speaking to us in this way? His disciples said, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, Jesus says, for they see... And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus uses parables to speak wisdom, to confound those who are the quote-unquote wise, but to reveal Himself to those to whom He has chosen to reveal Himself. When Paul preaches Christ crucified, he is clearly not speaking in parables, but many of his hearers simply cannot make sense of it. The ones who can understand it are the ones who are equipped for it, the mature, the ones who have eyes to see and ears to hear. To the ones who cannot see and hear, the message of Christ is silliness at best and a dangerous threat at worst. Silly, because as we pointed out, it makes no sense for a dead man to be a deliverer and a threat because it upends an entire power structure dependent upon worldly power and worldly wisdom. It makes a mess of everything. Peter Lightheart, in his book, The Kingdom and the Power, contrasts normal war with holy war. Normal war is fighting according to the way of the world. It's 
fighting with lawyers, guns, and money. Holy war is fought with water and bread and wine. How in the world, how in the world are you going to beat the Russians with baptism? Or whoever the enemy du jour is, right? How are you going to beat them with baptism? How are you going to beat them with bread and wine? How are you going to beat them like this with what we are doing? It doesn't make sense if our paradigm is this worldly. If we are operating with the wisdom of this world, that just doesn't make any sense at all. But that is exactly how God moves in the world. That is exactly how God is changing the world. He is speaking Christ to us. He is giving us Christ in bread and in wine. If you have eyes to see, if you have faith that God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts, that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than our ways and His thoughts, our thoughts. If you grasp that God overcame sin and death in the death of the sinless, if you believe that the cross, an instrument of evil, is the means by which the ultimate good is achieved, well, then it's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only way that our problems are solved. It is the only way that the world is made right. And if the powerful of the age understood this, they would not have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. They didn't make sense of it. Why? Because it had not been revealed to them. As Jesus spoke in parables, not only to reveal the kingdom to His disciples, but also to conceal the kingdom for the, from those who were hostile to the kingdom, so the gospel of Jesus Christ is apprehended by some and rejected by others. To some, to those who are perishing, the gospel actually is the fragrance of death. We smell like death to those who are perishing. To those who are going down into the pit. The message of life that we have sounds like a message of death. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it, we are the smell from death to death. But to those who are being saved, we are the aroma of life to life. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These, thing, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of God. So Paul, now having spoken against wisdom as understood by the majority of the world, turns and says, so he's, saying, he's, doing, he's investing all of this energy up to this point by saying, wisdom, no, 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 don't pers not, not, not wisdom, no, this, this idea of wisdom that you have, no, get rid of that. But, but, let's talk about wisdom. Let's talk about what wisdom really is. You want wisdom? I got wisdom. Let's talk about what wisdom is. I really am speaking of wisdom. And this is a rhetorical wordplay that Paul employs often to drive, point, drive home the point that he intends to make. So in Philippians 3, Paul is warning the church at Philippi against those who would come and insist on circumcision as a necessary uh, act to be a Christian. Right? You had to be a Jew first to, to become a Christian. And uh, uh, to, about those people, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the mutilators of the flesh. Don't buy that. But then he uses the same language and he says, we are the circumcision. 
So he's not saying that circumcision is bad. He's saying, watch out for that kind of circumcision. We actually are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He rejects the old world way and insists upon the new world reality that was signified in the old. He continues in that passage to say, now, if you want confidence in the flesh, man, I've got creds. Right? I've got credibility. If you want to see somebody who's got confidence in the, in the flesh, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I've got all kinds of credibility if you want credibility in the flesh. Now put a pin there, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's similar to what he does in 2 Corinthians 11 um, uh, and 12. And he says, since many are boasting according to the flesh, I'll, I'll show you boasting. Do they boast of visions and revelations? Well, hang on to your hats because uh, I have got, I've got bigger things to, to, to say about that. But where it ends up is Paul boasting not of anything that he had done, but he ends up boasting of, of his suffering. He ends up boasting in his weakness. In Philippians 3, he says, everything that I have gained in the flesh is actually loss. It is scubalon. It is refuse. But in 2, and in 2 Corinthians 12, he boasts of weakness and suffering so that the power of Christ may rest on him. These examples are actually very on point to our discussion in 1 Corinthians because in 1 Corinthians, Paul is confronting the pride of men who would find their wisdom and occasion, find in their wisdom an occasion for boasting. Look how wise I am. Look how, look how eloquent I am. Look how powerful I am because of my speech. But Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In both of these examples, Paul leads us down a path to his own conformity to Christ's sufferings, to Christ's weaknesses, and to Christ's death. In other words, the cross. All things come to the cross for Paul. And it is the cross that is the content of true wisdom. If we want to have wisdom, if we want to understand what is, wisdom is, we must understand the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a great paradox, of course, that life comes through death. That through humiliation comes exaltation. That through setting aside all one possesses, he gains everything. That through being cursed, one is ultimately and infinitely blessed. That by being pierced through, someone is made whole. That by being stripped of all covering, one is clothed with righteousness. This is turning wisdom on its head. This is Paul's agenda. It is the wisdom of the world that Paul is set against. And the wisdom that Paul presents is dead set against. It, the wisdom of the world is dead set against. It is the grasping tower-building, power-grabbing, self-accumulating, self-satisfied, self-deifying, glory-seeking man who is honored and exalted in this world. But the wisdom of God, the true wisdom, is the Son of God and His cross. And it is revealed to us 
through the Spirit of God. The Spirit plumbs the depths of God, for it is His Spirit. And the Spirit has been given to us. The Spirit has been given to us at Pentecost. The Spirit has descended upon the church and has helped us to understand the mind of God and to appropriately understand all things that have been given to us freely by God. The Spirit empowers us by teaching us spiritual truths, the true wisdom of God. And he concludes this chapter by saying, we have the mind of Christ. We, the people of God, we, the church, have the mind of Christ. Now what Paul is talking about here is not having had a brain transplant, right? Rather, he's telling us that we who are spiritual, equipped to apprehend spiritual things by means of the Spirit of God, are set right in our thinking. Our ability to think rightly about the world has been put right. We understand the world and everything in it according to the new creation. And we live according to new creation reality. The reality established at the cross when the King of Glory suffered and died. On the cross, God disarms the rulers and authorities, the wise and the powerful, and He puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. You want wisdom? You want wisdom? You want to be wise? Let me give you wisdom. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind among yourselves, let this be your mind, this self-emptying, giving, sacrificing, obedient way of being. Let that be your mind, because that is the mind of Christ. That is the mind of wisdom. But there's more. It's not just being killed, being crucified, letting your life go. In doing that, as I said before, we gain everything. True wisdom has a promise. True, true, true wisdom is the, the promise that we will understand things rightly, that we will let go of the things that don't matter and we will cling to what does matter. And the way that that's expressed in Philippians 2 is, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything, everything that Jesus had, everything that the Son of God had, He gave away. He emptied Himself of. He divested Himself of. And what He was given in return was absolutely everything. As Paul says elsewhere, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with everything, every spiritual gift in the heavenly places in Christ. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. 
what belongs to Christ who set aside His life, who went to the cross, belongs to us as we set aside our lives and join Him on the cross. That we might be buried with Him in baptism and resurrected and raised with Him and seated at the right hand of the Father. This is true wisdom, church. This is what wisdom is. It's not Rousseau and Kant and Plato and uh, Socrates and all those guys. True wisdom is Jesus Christ and it is manifested most perfectly in the cross. Let this mind be in you. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the Messiah who was crucified. The Messiah who went into a grave and who on the third day was raised from the dead. We thank you that our understanding of the world, our understanding of reality is based on these things, based on this man, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would press these truths into us that You would give us daily occasions to learn this lesson and that we would seize upon them so that we might seize upon wisdom, that we might get wisdom, that we might have true wisdom. Our Father, we pray that You would give this to us because we ask in the name of and for the sake of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power and wisdom of Your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.